All right. Hello, and welcome to Abscond with Ethan Renault. Um, today, I have my friend Garrett Saul on the podcast. You probably remember him from the three episodes we did together on hell, where we talked about the nature of hell and the different views that there are of hell. Um, today, Garrett and I are going to tackle a different topic, and I'm excited about this one because um, Garrett... I mean, we, I, tr- I intentionally tried not to talk to him a lot before so that we could have a good discussion on the podcast, but um, we're talking about abortion, uh, pro-life, and that whole area of conversation, family planning and everything. So, Garrett, thank you so much for taking an hour out of your day to chat with me. Yeah, I'm really glad to be here to talk with you. Yeah, um, and Garrett... Uh, I mean, actually, instead of me saying it, why don't you just describe a little bit about what you do in this field? Like, what's your experience? What do you do? That type of thing. Yeah, so uh, my primary experience I have is uh, I'm a father. Uh, I've been married to Andrea for almost six years. It'll be six years this August. And uh, together, uh, we have four kids, um, one on the way due at the end of um, September. So, you know, if you do the math, married wow. six years, four kids, it's like, yeah, we got pregnant <laughs> right after we got married. And, uh, yeah, we, I went to seminary and we had two more and I'm in my uh, first church right now. And yeah, we're expecting our, our fourth. So my primary experience is raising my own children and doing my best to, uh, so you have three, Yep. you have three kids outside the womb and one in the womb. That's right. Yep, yeah, five, gotcha. three, 20 months, and 25 weeks in utero, so it's uh, nice. very exciting in my household, lots <clears throat> of lots of fun and joy and big emotions just from everybody, and that's the nature of that, mm-hmm. but yeah, um, uh, my wife, Andrea, and I, we've done a lot of uh, pro-life work um, on different spectrums of pro-life Work. I mean, from going to college campuses and uh, doing pro-life apologetics, um, using graphic images to talk about the atrocity that is abortion, um, and to uh, serving at a crisis pregnancy center. Uh, my wife actually just came back uh, today from a, a luncheon. Uh, she volunteers there and does uh, client uh, counseling for uh, women and I'm hoping to get involved in the coming uh, months uh, to teach a uh, parenting class uh, specifically on helping the men be fathers. And so, yeah, we try to we try to take a holistic approach, run the gambit from arguments against abortion to helping people who may not be where we're at philosophically or theologically, but who just need care. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, let's kind of get... Uh behind the scenes just a little bit, because um, w- from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, but why don't you just explain your um, uh, kind of theology of life and family planning? Because until last week, I was talking to a different friend of mine. I told him I was doing this podcast, and he was like, oh, you know that there's like several levels of family planning, you know? And I was like, well, and I like what I knew is that Obviously, there's like pro-choice, like kind of being on that side of the spectrum. And then there's the pro-life side. But within that, there are several different um, categories of uh, what people might think is, um, what's the word, ethical? Like 
for instance, some people might be against condoms. Um, some people might be, um, there's, uh, I forget the exact terminology. You can probably help me out here, but there was like no family planning whatsoever. And the theology behind that, I think is something like God will give you the kids that he wants Mm -hmm. to give you. Mm -hmm. Um, so you just kind of, you and your wife just (laughs) don't take any kind of precaution, whatever. And then within that, there's what my friend does, which is kind of paying attention to your wife's cycles. And if you don't want to get pregnant, you kind of time mm-hmm. it accordingly. Send a thermal method. And then, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and then there's uh, obviously like condoms and then there's pills and then there's uh, the whole other, you know, plenty of other kind of degrees of uh, family planning type stuff. So why don't you tell me what your theology is with that? Yeah, so uh, my theology behind that, uh, so I, when Andrea and I first uh, got engaged, we had a conversation about... Uh, what type of uh, birth control, for lack of a better term, that we would use, and we were both okay with condoms. And then uh, she was taking a theology class. Uh, it's like a systematic theology two class, and I was taking a theology of John Calvin class, and we really both discovered the doctrine of union with Christ and how it's really our union with Him uh, that we you know, find our life and get all the blessings of salvation, uh, what we call salvation, justification, sanctification, uh, the Holy Spirit, it's all because of the Spirit unites us with Christ. And we get life when we're united to Him. He is our life. Uh, we're reconciled to the Father because of what Christ did on the cross and His death and resurrection, uh, all because we're united to Him. And this union is, um, you know, it's, it's spiritual. Uh, it's definitely mysterious, but it's real. And when we saw that trajectory of, you know, New Testament thought, uh, and especially how it uh, very um, explicitly points to marriage in Ephesians 5 and how the husband and wife is supposed to mirror the relationship that Christ has with his church in this kind of union, we realize that to live, for us at least, uh, to, to be a witness of Christ to the world in our marriage and how we live our lives, uh, that uh, Christ doesn't put up any barriers for himself. He doesn't try to stop himself from being known to the world. What does try to put up barriers and stop uh, Christ from being known to the world is the powers of sin, death, and the devil. Uh, But Christ is fully present for people who receive him in faith. uh, That is given to us by the Spirit. And Andrew and I, um, as we did some theological reflection, we realized in our own marriage we wanted to be fully present to one another and uh, the marital embrace, and that uh, even for us using uh, a condom puts up a barrier to the potentiality of what the act of sex is supposed to represent. It's supposed to bring forth love for a husband and a wife. It's supposed to bring forth unity, um, not only, you know, spiritual, emotional, but, you know, most, you know, uh, you know, physical, of course. And then mm-hmm. also um, life, and not only the emotional life that can come from the connection between a husband and a wife, but the biological life that comes from having a baby. Um, and so we realized that you know, using any form of contraception for us was putting uh, a barrier for one of the what we see as the three uh, pillars of um, what sex is meant to be for, but it reflects what God has done for us in Jesus, love, unity, and life. Um, and so we are enacting out physically, uh, what Christ has done for us spiritually, um, 
in order to be a witness to to the world um, and our love life. So, and our mm. marriage, more holistically speaking. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of a, a short... Uh, theology of uh, why Andrea and I we don't we don't contracept, um, but to your point, Ethan, there are um, you know different levels of understanding of what it means to be you know pro life within um, Protestant theology. Uh, many Protestants think it's okay to use hormonal birth control, um, and that suppresses um, the woman's horm- uh, the woman's hormones to think that she's already pregnant so that she doesn't ovulate, and that's taken by a daily, uh, you know, taking a daily pill in order to, you know, change a woman's um, hormonal cycle so that she doesn't ovulate. And then, of course, there's, you know, barrier methods, contraception, uh, that just, you know, stops, you know, sperm from going in and, you know, baby doesn't, you know, come forth from that way. But then uh, there's what your friend said, which is, uh, I want to say, uh, I mean, maybe it's a natural way of understanding it, but um, through advancement in scientific methods, um, I think Andrew and I are very scientific in how we go about our family planning. We're not on the spectrum of just have a bunch of kids and whatever God gives you, God gives you. I mean, there's some people who think that, and I can you know see where they're coming from, but um, uh, Pope John Paul II wrote a book called Love and Responsibility, and that Hmm. Parenthood ought to be responsible as well as loving, um, but he also is against contraception and hormonal both birth control, as Andrea and I are. Um, and so the way to uh, work with that mentality is to, um, like the book of Proverbs, you know, wisdom, going with the grain of how God created the world and how God created a woman's um, reproductive cycle to uh, work and release an egg and how her body temperature spikes at the release of an egg and realizing that, you know, uh, eggs can, you know, last for up to 24 to 40 hours in the cycle and then, uh, you know, predicting, um, you know, infertility through, uh, scientific inquiry and research, which is the kind of family planning that Andrew and I use. Uh, we, gotcha. yeah, we use, um, a method called, uh, the Sermo, uh, Symptothermal method, which tracks a woman's uh, fertility through, um, you know, increasing uh, mucus. Uh, the more you know, clear it is, the more uh, fertile a woman is, and um, also the rise of body temperature and various other signs. Um, you know, women uh, their cervix can you know harden uh, when they're not fertile, and then it gets soft when they are, so that sperm can easily enter it for you know um, pregnancy and conceiving. Um, and, but with the service closed, there's no way that, you know, sperm are getting through in order to, uh, be pregnant. And really, um, mm-hmm. you know, st- st- statistically speaking, women, uh, can, I think they're only like, if, if you, uh, you know, have intercourse at the height of fertility, there's only a 20% chance of conceiving if you're not using any, you know, contraceptive or birth control. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so there's a lot of fear that, you know, if I'm fertile, I'm going to get pregnant 100% of the time, uh, but it's really only about 20%. In fact, it's it's fairly difficult to get pregnant, um, even on a regular basis. Um, hmm. So, yeah, we use the symptothermal method, but there's also the Marquette method, which is a little bit more objective, a little bit more expensive because it, uh, you know, detects, um, ob- like, ovulation hormones in 
a woman's urine, uses it every morning, and then she puts it to machine, and then it reads the levels um, of, uh, it's, it's not estrogen, it's, um, it begins with a P. I'm forgetting right now, but it, it detects. Um, Is it P? No, it's not. It's not <laughs> P. I think it's, uh, oh, it's um, <laughs> progesterone. I think that's what it's called. Hmm. Um, and, it, and it detects that. Um, to let you know, so there's a, you know, just so, just to let you know, like, okay, you're going to be peaking towards ovulation. And during that time, you know, if you don't want... So is that like an app that you use or... I mean... Because my friend said that he uses an app where his wife puts in her temperature yeah, every morning. Yeah. And then it kind of tracks her... Yeah, you can use an app. Uh, there's uh, there's a expensive uh, thermometer. It's like a hundred bucks. One-time investment. We've been using it our entire marriage. Uh, that you take your temperature in the morning, it syncs it with your phone, and then it, you can mm-hmm. track your temperatures. And when there's a spike, you can put in data accordingly, and then it can help you interpret um, your cycle. There's also like uh, you know, pencil and paper you can use for more old school people, but yeah, we use the app. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Um, awesome. So th- thanks for sharing that. So that's your um, kind of stance right like um so yeah i wasn't sure which of the i figured you were one of the last two categories i didn't know if you were just like go crazy all the time or if you guys were a little more scientific and track it some Uh, because i think you're younger than me and you have four kids so (laughs) um you know um yeah well that's great um so what do you say or i guess um i kind of i kind of want to go up this the tiers of um of maybe disagreement, whatever you call it. Yeah. Um, what do you say? Cause I'm not married. I'm a, tw- I'll be 29 tomorrow. Um, Happy early birthday. <laughs> thanks. Um, <laughs> so that means by the time this is out, I'll be 29 in a couple weeks. So if, if you're listening to this and didn't wish me a happy birthday, unsubscribe. I'm just kidding. 50 more years um, in purgatory per our last. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we never did purgatory, but not worth it. Uh, no. <laughs> Yeah, it's probably probably missable actually based on what I read of that chapter. Yeah. Anyway, um uh twenty nine year old virgin over here. Um in my head I've I've never seen an issue with condoms. However, I mean aside from obviously the pleasure fact, everyone I've ever talked to is like, no, condoms reduce the pleasure by like Seventy percent, you know, or like something crazy. Yeah. It's like there's a huge difference pleasure wise. But aside from the pleasure, um, you brought up obviously the barrier to intimacy and kind of it's like, um, why would I put a barrier between my wife and I, like physically, and what does that signify theologically and all that stuff? Excuse me. So what would you say to let's say Christians who use condoms in their marriage um as a way of family planning. Um, what, what would your response be to them? Is it more like this is just our personal stance and there's not really anything wrong with them? Or what, what, do, you, what do you think there? I would ask the question, you know, if they're Christians, you know, mm-hmm. is there any barrier that Christ puts before us towards himself that, like, that he actively puts towards himself against us? Like what I'm trying to say is, you know, does Christ try to actively stop people from getting to him? And I think scripturally the answer is no. The Son of Man did not come to you know, condemn the world, but to save the world. 
And the only reason why, you know, people don't respond to the gospel call, the message, as we hold out in the gospel message, we hold out Jesus to people, is because uh, the God of this world has blinded the minds of people. It's because of sin. Uh, sin is what stops us, you know, to getting, you know, to, to Christ. It inhibits us, and only the Holy Spirit can, you know, activate faith in our hearts so that we receive him. And the Holy Spirit is, you know, the person who unites us to, to Christ that we can know the Father. Um, yeah. And, you know, if, if people, you know, if people can show me, you know, in Scripture, um, you know, yep, Christ actively tries to stop people from knowing him, <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm open to, you know, if you, you know, let me understand, like, if you can show me that, like, I, I want to read it because mm-hmm. then I need to rethink sure. my, my own position, but I don't think that's, that's there. I've read the New Testament, you know, dozens of times. Um, I just don't think that's there. Um, and so if, if they answer, well, no, then I'm like, well, if marriage is supposed to signify the relationship that we have with Christ to the world between a husband and a wife, then why in the very act of becoming one would you want to put up a barrier to giving yourself completely to your wife? Like, and, like, what, what, what reasons are there? And I think the reasons are we're not ready to have a kid, too much money, you know, th- things like, you know, like that, or, you know, having a child would, um, yeah, yeah. you know, you know, kill my wife or something like that, you know, if we want to go extreme. But there's still other ways of becoming intimate um, that are, you know, that you can still not use a barrier method. And, I mean, uh, condom failure rate is also really high. I think, like, condoms, you know, fail, like, at 79% um, of, like, they have a, they they have a success rate of seventy nine percent, so then they fail twenty one percent of the time that they're used in each each mm. potent, like each act. Um, so you're still taking a risk even when you're using a condom, but they just provide the illusion right. of safety. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but like, suppose you're like a seminary student who like literally can't afford to have kids, or you're you're even in a worse scenario, like you're you're destitute, you and your wife, whatever. Um, you absolutely can't have kids. Um, like, I, like, would you say, or let me, let me ask it this way. Is it, is using a condom sinful in your opinion? See, I'm very careful to say that someone is, you know, sinning unless it's explicitly said in scripture that this is something that is a sin, like gossip right. or right. lying um, but I do encourage people to think about what are you saying with your body when you put on a condom before becoming one with your wife? Um, mm. you know, what, what are you saying with your body? I think we operate so often in like ideologies or thoughts that we don't pay attention to what our bodies say to each other and we miss out on a huge language of love like imagine if Mm. you were trying to love someone who wasn't there and all they had was your voice i think it's like what 91 percent of communication is nonverbal because it's shown in our bodies yeah um i don't know if that statistic is true or not you're a communications major you tell me um (laughs) that's that's what they say i don't know how true that is yeah i mean i don't know how true it is either but you know the point is we miss out a lot when we aren't able to see each other's facial expressions and we communicate 
as embodied people. And so what are we saying with our you know, position as we're supposed to be you know, coming to the marital embrace and the most intimate of acts and saying, you know, I'm going to put up a barrier on the very part of me that is supposed to be joining with you. Um, hmm. you know, like what kind of position does that, that put us in? Does it put us in a position of, of fear? Am I afraid that I'm going to have a child? And then ask the deeper spiritual questions. Why am, why am I afraid? Or why... You know, why do I not want to have a child right now? And then are these good reasons? I think too often mm. we focus on like the ethical questions of, is this right? Is this wrong? But then we fail to ask the weightier questions is, what does this, you know, say about me? And should I be experiencing reality as such? Um, the spiritual questions, which we often don't like to ask ourselves because we don't like where they might take us. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for me, um, kind of learning more about this the past week or two, and I'm sure most, it may like probably a lot of the people listening are like, dang, I had never really given this that much thought because, um, I think the tradition, like I would guess that the predominant American Christian mindset is, well, I'm not killing an actual baby using a condom. Like there's no zygote formed. Like there's no, um, right. and you're not, uh, creation of life therefore it's permissible um and that doesn't really dive into like the 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 deeper structures of the theology on which your pro-life ethic is based on right you're kind of just scratching the surface and saying well it's not murder therefore it's okay um so i appreciate you going um going so much deeper and saying like how does what i do with my body reflect what i believe theologically so i think that's really great um, I mean, I, like, again, as a single virgin dude, it's like, um, I haven't crossed that bridge yet. So I haven't necessarily had to formulate my own beliefs on this. Um, uh, but yeah, that's, that's great. I've got a lot to think about, I guess, before I start the act of baby making someday. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And I guess, um, and I don't want to go down this rabbit trail, but I guess um, that does kind of reflect a um, ethic of abstinence for those who are not married. It's it's just like such. I was I was talking about this with my roommates the other night. Like it's such sleeping with somebody, having sex with somebody is such a deep act, and our culture treats it so flippantly. And absolutely, um, kind of the way that I'm, I'm sure you would agree with this, but the way. I don't know the exact language to use, but um, some sort of covenant is formed, I would say, every time you sleep with somebody, right? Um, I mean, I would... Yeah. That, th that's definitely a good uh, observation. I mean, the act of, you know, lovemaking is the formation of, you know, it's, it's, it's the consummation of a marriage, which is, you know, in covenant yeah. before God that in husband and wife would, you know never divorce each other. They would, you know, seek to serve one another and live with one another until death do them part. Um, yeah. And so when you have, you know, sex with someone, theologically, how I understand it at least, uh, you have bound yourself to that person. Mm -hmm. um, and that is why adultery is a sin. Because idolatry is a sin. Mm. When we bind ourselves to God in faith, we are forsaking all other gods. It goes all the way back to the Ten Commandments, even in the Garden of Adam and Eve. You know, 
the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. It's like, have no other gods before me. And throughout the entire Old Testament, whoring and sexual immorality was explicitly linked with idolatry. Hmm. And so when we, you know, have sex with just someone nonchalantly, you know, we're basically cheapening the very act. And, you know, that's supposed to bring us intimacy, stability, life, and love, just like the worship of the one true God, you know, Yahweh, who is made known to us fully in Jesus Christ by his spirit. Um, that's why we are to, you know, worship him fully. And anything less than complete and utter devotion to Jesus um, is is idolatry. And so there, there is there is a covenant nature there. And if our marriage covenant is supposed to reflect the fidelity and love that God has for us, is shown to us in his son, in his life, death, and resurrection, and made actualized in our lives by the Spirit, um, you know, that's why it's, you know, such a big deal when you consummate your marriage because you're saying, yes, you are mine for life. Mm-hmm. But when we just go around and sleep with a bunch of people, uh, then that's just, an, you know, it's not only an act of idolatry and, you know, whoredom in that way. Um, it's just a cheapening of the covenant. It can set yourself up for perpetual destruction. Not saying that people who have slept around with a bunch of people are hopeless oh, because they're not. I mean, Israel went into exile for her idolatry, and then God still called them back because God's commitment to us Correct. as humans is uh, unbreakable and uh, you know forever, and is explicitly shown to us by Jesus' death on the cross, and that there's always forgiveness and the willingness to repent and live <sighs> rightly. Sorry about that. Hey. Yeah, you froze up. So why don't you go back to uh, the last thing I heard was when you're sleeping around, you set yourself up for something. Yeah, for, you know, just for perpetual you know disintegration of your human person. Uh, mm. But then as we come you know, to repent from our sins and turn back to the one true God away from our whoredom and idolatry, that we can find the healing and life that God promises when we obey him. And so there, there, there's mm. always hope, and that's what I love about being a Christian, that no one is ever, you know, beyond uh, redemption as they walk about this earth and have the opportunity to to turn to Jesus. So Yeah. Let me, um, real quick, just because I know that when a lot of people hear that type of language, and again, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too far, I want to get back to the pro-life um, and abortion topic, but um, I've had this conversation with a lot of people who would probably say that they're more progressive or something and their ethic of sex is often like, are you saying that I'm like less of a person because I've given myself away because I've slept with a handful of people. And it's hard to articulate this because what you're saying or what you're saying right now is, um, in, in some way, biblically, at least you, you are committing part of yourself when you commit that physical act of consummating a covenant of sorts with somebody every time you do. But on the flip side, um, as Christians, like you just said too, we do believe that nobody's beyond the bounds of grace and redemption and hope. And, and it's tough to articulate this, especially when you're talking to a Christian who may have a more progressive mindset on sex, which is like, I don't lose part of myself when I sleep around. 
And, and there's, I don't know. Um, I mean, it, it's really hard to articulate cause I, I would agree with you, which is why I'm still a virgin, which is not fun, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's because I, I just see the covenant as so deeply important to the human person that I don't want to be setting up some kind of twisted covenant with like everybody I meet, <laughs> you know? Right. So, yeah. yeah. And, you know, for, for that, you know, people who say like, I don't lose a part of myself. And I would say that you do, mm. you do lose a part of yourself and it's a hard reality, but thankfully it's not up to ourselves to repair our humanity. It's up to yeah. Jesus. Jesus mm. is the humanizing human. And so for all the parts that we have, you know, given away of ourselves and all the relationships with people that we might have had, you know, sex with before we committed ourselves to fidelity in marriage, Jesus makes us whole. And so, yeah, it's a very bleak situation for someone who's trying to repair their own understanding of self and their own identity apart from Christ because you can't do it. You can't even do it if you're a virgin. You need Jesus to tell yeah. you who you are as a human. So it's mm. not like virgins are up here, married people are up here who waited, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, the you know, people who have had, you know, are down here. No, we all need Jesus. But as the Apostle Paul says, you know, when you commit sexual immorality, you sin against your own body. Yeah. You sin against who you are. And it's Jesus who makes that whole. Uh, and so people, you know, people listening to this may balk, balk like, oh, like, you know, I, like, I still feel fine. Like, yeah, giving a part of myself away. What does that even mean? And that it we're, it's, we're so ironic in that we deny the spiritual, but then when it comes to, you know, being, you know, physical, we think that, you know, the physical doesn't mean anything either. It's like, I don't give a part of myself away, but then Christians are like, nope, using a condom has, doesn't have any spiritual consequences. It's like, what what is going on there? Why why are we thinking this way when hmm. we are you know twisting how we understand the spiritual and physical to you know meet our own needs rather than trying to see a theological trajectory in Scripture about how do we live a kingdom life and what's really going on in our persons as inspirited people or enfleshed spirits? You know. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like like Rob Bell says. Um, everything is spiritual. I think there's some truth to that, you know, like everything you, every action you do, how you get out of bed in the morning, what you eat. Like I remember being at Moody and, and one of my friends was writing a paper on like the theology of food. And I was like, why does that matter? You know? And you think about it and God gives a lot of commandments in the old Testament about what you can and can't eat. And so like in a way, yeah, everything is spiritual. Like things that we may even think are pretty inconsequential and obviously sex is not inconsequential, and, but right, and not in like a wishy-washy, like spiritual, but like life lived by the spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we say spiritual, I want to be very clear that we're not meaning some like ethereal, like feeling that like we a gnostic we, view. Yeah, yeah. When we do something that we like, like eat chocolate or something, but really, a life that is propelled, animated by the Holy Spirit. Uh, when I play mm-hmm. guitar, you know. Am I using this, you know, gift to, you know, worship God and my enjoyment of it for the enjoyment of others so that people through how I'm using this gift will be able to see the goodness of God in, in, in what I do. Yeah. Um, and yeah. not just for my own self. 
Yeah. I kind of think about it as like nothing that you do physically or not, let's just say in general, nothing you do um, doesn't have some kind of theological ramifications, right? Like if you're just eating cake all the time and you are like 400 pounds, then like that has some kind of theological root, you know, that it kind does. of reflects something. hundred you know. percent. I mean, and, so here's an example for me I'll share. So when I was in seminary, I enjoyed playing League of Legends with some of my friends. Mm-hmm. But, um, I th- you know, this was shortly after my, um, my second child was born, uh, Theodore. And I found that, you know, I started, you know, playing video games more and more. And reflecting, it was to, like, numb the difficulties that were going on in my studies, in my marriage, mm-hmm. and raising children. And I thought, oh, I'm just enjoying myself. But it was really affecting my spirit and making me lethargic yeah. toward the very people that I should be loving most and having those hard conversations. And so everything yeah. we do is spiritual one way or another, for good or for ill. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's a great insight. Um, okay. I think that's all I had to say on that because I want to get back to talking about abortion, which you have a good amount of experience with. Um not with abortion, but interacting with it. Um, right. So what, uh, what's your – you and I obviously um, are in agreement that I think abortion is murder. It's taking the image of God in this little infant and destroying it and killing it, putting it to death. And God hates death. God is the God of life and of multiplication and fruitfulness. And um, so how do you go about those conversations? Like say you're um, – at an abortion clinic and there's somebody who either let's say they're thinking about getting an abortion. Um, how do you approach that topic with them? Yeah. I mean, I read this uh, very good book called scandalous witness and it's called, uh, the subtitle is a short Christian political manifesto. But point 15 of that really stuck out with me and that, Every Christian political engagement has to be ad hoc. You just have to take each one as it is, where mm-hmm. they're at, contextualize. Um, and a lot of, I mean, I would perhaps say all of our engagement with people is political in that we are trying to live out the politics of the kingdom, right. of God's kingdom. Yeah. And uh, you know, people who are not Christians are operating within the politics of the empire. Mm. With that in mind, each person is you know, different. And how you know where they're at, why they're going to an abortion cl- abortion clinic to you know get an abortion, um, and so I'd ask you know I want to begin you know saying hey, you know you're coming here, um, you know ask them what do you think abortion is, and if they think you know I'm going to get rid of this you know clump of cells, it's like okay well, you know why do you feel like you need to come here to get rid of this clump of cells like what what is this clump of cells you know, well, what are you afraid of in this becoming? Oh, a baby. Well, why are you afraid of, you know, just ask the questions like, why are you afraid of carrying a baby? Well, like, I don't have enough money or I don't have support. Um, and then get to the deeper needs of why people are motivated for their actions. You know, why was, you know, why was George Floyd killed? You know, what, what were the motivations for his death? Um, you know, and ask those questions about motivation because then that's when the spiritual care comes in. You can't just be like, yep, you're a straight-up murderer, you baby murderer. Don't murder your baby. It's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, 
there are reasons why women go in and feel like their only option is to terminate their pregnancy, to kill their baby, um, and to just, you know, say, yeah, we turned someone away from an abortion clinic, you know, one week. Who's to say that they're not going to change their mind and come back another week without help? And so I do value the work of those people because they're like, you know, first responders in a sense. Um, you mean the people but, that are... You know, out people? there at the abortion clinics, praying, counseling people. I mean, they're mm-hmm. like, you know, if there's a burn victim just rescued from a house, you know, they're the EMT on the scene to do treatments mm-hmm. before they can get to the hospital system. But that's just the problem. This, And I think the solution is that there needs to be more systems in place to help move people from a place of, you know, potential death for their child to a place of flourishing. Like the crisis um, and shock stage and mm-hmm. when they're showing up at that clinic. Yeah. Yeah. And and just to reiterate, and your your intent is not to shame them and just absolutely you know, provide not. arguments of don't do no. this because scientifically it's a human. You know, like that's kind of, that's yeah. just that's superficial. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe I mean, there's a place for that, like a college university. You know, when you're mm-hmm. in a public forum of mm-hmm. ideas and you're you know convincing people through rational and scientific arguments of the humanity of someone who thinks it's just a fetus because they've been, you know, fed that their entire life and, you know, you're challenging the perception. There's a place for that. But specifically, you know, for abortion clinic, um, sidewalk counseling, like women who go in there, majority of the time they're hurting. Mm -hmm. They're like, they're hurting and we don't know their stories and we ought to get to know their stories. And even by having a conversation with someone, uh, can, you know, calm them down. And get them into mm. a better frame of mind for understanding. I mean, just like, so, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen this, but um, I saw um, Waco. It's about David Koresh and the British. Oh, I literally just finished Netflix. that yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. So I could barely watch the ending because it was just so horrifyingly sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was crying. I just couldn't. I just couldn't believe it. But mm-hmm. I mean, the FBI responded how he talks with people over time to try to get them to a place of, you know, flourishing for them even if they're unable to see it for themselves, hmm. you know, that, that is what I think we're about because we want people to experience the life of the kingdom through us and through that taste of life and the proclamation of the gospel message that there is life for you. Invite them to say, you don't have to live like this anymore. This is not for you. You were made for more. And here's what this looks like. And it's going to be difficult because we're so, you know, the world and everything that we grew up in has, you know, inundated itself in us, but by the work of the Spirit, we're able to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Um, And so, yeah, to me, that's like a grander narrative that is so much more compelling than abortion is wrong or abortion is right. Mm -hmm. Like, let's get to the narrative trajectory of why we think these things. And then really, do you think that this is a better path for human flourishing? Yeah. Um, and then work, really work. And this is where like white evangelicals generally have just failed. Like, I'm just going to say that we have failed at creating the appropriate systems within our churches, within our communities to help those who we claim to say that we want to help hmm. because we've been so, you know, zealous about the message of the gospel we forget about the mode of existence of the gospel and how like jesus says or you know john says but you know jesus through john the apostle says as jesus is in first john four sixteen, so also are we in the world and 
too often we as evangelicals say, as Jesus is, and that's it. And say, believe these objective truth claims, and then you'll go to heaven and mm. get out of hell. And then, you know, forget the rest of your life because it doesn't matter anymore. So you have eternity to look forward to. Yeah. Too bad Jesus didn't think that way. Mm. And I think we need to recover from that, that Gnosticism, that body, bad, spirit, good. You know? Right. And yeah. really yeah. help these people who are hurting. Um, so shout out to all my progressive friends who are like, yeah, but then who are like, uh, you don't think I should use contraceptives. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's really easy to, to, to fall into the political binary. Um, like the two party system, which I've been struggling with lately because it's like, well, I agree with half the things conservatives believe and I agree with half the things progressive people believe and <laughs> there is no party for me and it's it's just frustrating. Um, but yeah, ab- absolutely. That's a lot of good stuff that you just said. Um, I mean, I love talking about Gnosticism. I think some of the biggest breakthroughs you'll have as a Christian is realizing that um, most of the reasons you act the way you do is because you're Gnostic in your thought and you you, you believe that my Christianity exists over here, or maybe I should say up here, and there's some kind of faith, abstract term, faith, and then there's the rest of my life, which I live out in my actual body, and I do it how I want. You know, that type of thing. And I came to a realization as well that so many Christians, you know, we're all worried about the Antichrist or whatever, but so many Christians are the Antichrist. Hmm. How because so? Because the spirit of the... The spirit of the Antichrist, John says, are those who deny that Jesus has come in the flesh, hmm. that he had a body. And how many Christians, you know, deny that Jesus has come in the flesh with their own lives? You know, hmm. like, like for people to, you know, say that, you know, yeah, babies matter and we want to stop abortion. And then, well, have you ever been to an abortion clinic? Well, I, I, I pray for that. Great. Awesome. I'm so glad have you helped someone through this. Like, how do you serve Hmm. your time? Do you at least give money to your local pregnancy center, not to fund a federal political machine that is going to fulfill all your ideological wish dreams, but your local pregnancy center, if you even have one, you know, are you going to start one? Like, what are you you going to do? You know, that's just too much of my time. Like, we are the spirit of the Antichrist because Hmm. when Jesus comes to us in the flesh, he comes, he casts out demons, he heals sick people, he dies, like, bodily, like, huge tent of the Christian faith, so that we can be forgiven, not only of, you know, the spiritual sins that oppress us, but how they take shape in our bodies, and how we act towards one another, hmm. in our relationships. Um, and I think that is just, just huge. Yeah. Huh, that's interesting. Um... Yeah, actually, just yesterday, one of my friends, um, so so my friend is pro-choice, and one of her friends got pregnant by this guy who seems really awful, flaky, he's not going to be around to raise yeah. a kid. Um, so my friend counseled her friend, um, or she, she didn't tell her to have an abortion, she said, like, she said, whatever you decide... I'm here for you and I'm going to support you in this decision. And, um, but she, and she's like, you know, abortion isn't the only option because my friend is pretty, she's intelligent. She's smart. She's balanced. She's like, you know, there are 
um, adoptive centers. There are other options. Mm-hmm. Have you considered them? Um, but and I guess my question is kind of in a different direction. Um, what do you say to people who say that like it's the woman's body and it's her choice to do with what she wants? And I know that there are several metaphors. Like if you had a dependent person who was like attached to you, like could you kill it and that type of thing. Um, what would your, for lack of a better word, argument be for women who say, like, it's my body, I can choose to do what I want with it. Um, yeah, what do you say to that? Yeah, I mean, that's true, it's your body, but it's just denying the scientific and, you know, evidence that there's also another human inside of your body dependent upon you. And it's not just about your body getting rid of cancer. It's a human life. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, but ultimately it's a question of authority. Um, And how much authority do we give a parent over their child? That's, That's to me what it is. And, you know, if my child is, you know, two years old and I'm the authority figure over my child and my child is really, you know, driving me nuts and I decide, you know what, I don't want to be a parent anymore and I kill my child. <laughs> that is unacceptable, right? Yeah. But yet we don't think that way when, you know, there's a human dependent, um, desperately dependent inside of a, a you know, a, a woman, a mom's womb, uh, because we often tend to discriminate against, you know, size, age, environment, you know, those types of things, which are not good reasons to discriminate against anybody. Yeah. The SLED acronyms. Yep. Yeah. Size, level of dependency. Environment. Environment. And development. And development, yeah. Um, and so, I mean, but at the same time, like, I, I know to some degree, not fully because I'm not a woman, uh, but I am married to one who is now in her fourth pregnancy. It's hard to be pregnant. It's just is. I mean, you know, you have to pee every hour and you have, you know, some sciatic nerve pain. Uh, you know, sometimes you get weird little things where rashes break all over your body from head to toe. They're incredibly itchy and they won't go away until your baby's born. Like, they're just hard things. Mm. And if you don't have a support person for that, I can see why it would be tempting to think, you know, this is legal. And I can just make this all go away. And, you know, it's so small. And I can do it by myself. And I don't ever have to tell anybody. And no one will ever have to know. And then they're caught in this place of shame. And then, you know, that affects them all their all their life. And it's like, is that really, like, what we want for women's health? Like, I mean, I don't, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree. It's just a really hard conversation. Um, because it has to be personal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's easy for us to have this podcast, but, uh, you know, everyone who's going through, you know, this right now or has, um, like, you have to put your money where your mouth is. You have to be there. Um, and you have to be all in when working with someone who uh, doesn't have a support system. You have to make that sacrifice. And... I mean, I know I'm, I'm willing to. I'm, I want to be as pro-life as possible as I can, um, and you know, just partner with someone. But uh, so many of us, 
embody the spirit of the Antichrist rather than Christ mm -hmm. and just want to throw words at people uh, rather than throwing our, our bodies in front of people mm -hmm. and being for being there for mm -hmm. them. I mean, I think your pro-choice friend, you know, saying whatever your choice is, you know, I'm here for you, I'll be with you, is acting more Christian than we Christians. Mm -hmm. And shame on us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, I mean, that that's where... I mean, that's the really difficult thing. I'm sure you've had to interact with this since you've been in this um, in this area a lot. Um, but just like reaching out to the women who have made the choice to have an abortion and being like, hey, like, and you can tell me exactly what you did, but from what I would understand, it'd be like some idea of like, I don't agree with what they did, but I'm not going to tell them that. All I'm going to do is be there for them and love on them and, like, what's your response to that when you interact with those women? When, so, I just read The Power of Vulnerability by Brene Brown. Incredible book, extremely helpful for dealing with, for working through shame. And when someone is in shame, you don't need to tell them that they're in shame. Yeah. They already know. Mm. What you do need is to empathize with them because that is what brings them out. And it's so hard because, you know, as Christians, we think, you know, we have the scriptures, it's God's word, we know right from wrong. But the very first sin in the Bible was Adam and Eve thinking that they knew right from wrong um, and thinking that they were God. And now I'm not saying like, well, then everything is relative. It's like, no, like Jesus Christ has come and given us a spirit so that now that we have the mind of Christ, we are able to work in ways that can live in God's kingdom trajectory and doing right. But we can't sit up on our high horse and be like, yep, you're wrong, you're wrong, that's right, you're wrong, that's right. Yeah. Because it's it's falling in danger of removing the speck from other people's eyes, but we don't take the plank out right. from our own eyes. I think when we practice self-criticism of ways that we can grow, it invites other people to do that themselves and then the spirit works on us in community as we are all self-criticizing and looking for other people to say, where can I grow? Here's a way. Oh, let me tell you, you know, a way that you can grow. And inviting other people mm. out of shame and into light and into growth yeah. and into, you know, integration with, you know, Jesus by faith, by the spirit. Mm. Uh, and it's a really difficult, long, messy endeavor and a lot of Christians haven't thought this way for a really long time. But I think it's time that we get out of saying, this is a sin, this is a sin, this is not a yeah. sin. Although there are very clear stipulations for what sin is in, in the Bible. Um, and instead inviting people in to have these discussions with us and saying, you know, is it a sin for me to play video games in seminary? Well, no, because playing video games isn't a sin within itself. It's God's good thing. Well, what about when I was neglecting my wife and child and escaping from my pain mm. and hurting my relationships? Is it a sin then? Well, yeah, I guess you would say. It's like, it's not necessarily about the action. It's about what's going on behind yep. the action. Is it a sin to eat a tub full of ice cream? Well, what if you're celebrating, you know, uh, a marriage with your son and you're just, it's a feast. Well, what if you're using that to satiate your desire for belonging? It's like, okay <laughs> like we need to talk about these deeper things and not just be like abortion is a sin and you know keeping your child is you know 
not a sin. It's like, okay, like, I would say that within my Christian circles, but you don't go around and just lambast people. Um, it's the God's invitation in Christ is just that, an invitation to the kingdom, mm. an experience, uh, a, a new way of being human. Yeah, like moving into the world, include like secular and Christian circles alike, bodily moving into the world and carrying that spirit of Christ, the spirit of life with us wherever we go. And not just sitting behind our keyboards and, and saying indeed. like, well, scientifically, it's going to turn into a baby. You know, like, yeah, like. Here's 15 articles. Mm, See ya. Yeah. And that that's why, yeah. That's why a lot of these, like, social media arguments or even probably in a lot of classrooms, the arguments completely miss the point. It's like you're, you're not you're not digging up the theological foundation on which you're building your arguments. You're kind of splashing around on the surface of the water and not diving down, which is why I really appreciate you having this conversation because it, it caused me and it'll probably cause a lot of people listening to say, um, oh, wow, there's like several layers deeper to this thought than just like, is it right? Is it wrong? Or kind of, you know, like when, when we talk about sex and like, where's the line? It's like, how much can I get away with is really what we're asking. And that completely misses the entire theology of the body and of marriage and covenant. And what is it for? And and also recommend uh, Theology of the Body for Beginners by Christopher West. Yeah, I've um, read some clips from that. For, super, super yeah, good. Yeah, the entire book is really short. Very winsome for everyone listening. He's Roman Catholic and... Um, you know, I'm in the Reformed uh, tradition, but I have immensely learned from Roman Catholic brothers and sisters. And some people in my Reformed tradition will say, you're a heretic <laughs> for calling Roman Catholics brothers and sisters. And I say, you're a heretic for being divisive. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, it's like, yeah, great book recommendation for those listening. Theology of the Body by Christopher West. It really helped elucidate some of my own And thoughts. what's the one by Pope um, John Paul II, the Theology of the Body? It's... It, it, it's just called Theology of the Body, and Christopher West's Theology of the Body for Beginners. Oh, because, gotcha. uh, yeah, JP the Second's work is like 560 pages, just extremely scholarly, draws upon a lot of like the Roman Catholic canon law and its magisterium mm-hmm. to make arguments, and it's just very technical. Um, but yeah, Christopher West. He's like down on my level, super funny. Condensed it. He has five kids. Gotcha. Yeah, just boop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Um, I feel like I had one other thing to say, but I can't remember what. I feel like we've covered a lot. It's been an hour. Um, so anything else that you want to throw in that we haven't covered in this whole conversation of kind of bodies, sex, abortion? I would just like to end by, you know, anyone who listens to ask the question, why are you using uh, the kind of birth control you are? Whether it's uh, hormonal birth control, whether it's an IUD, whether it's a condom or something different, you know, what, why are you using that? And do you know um, everything that it does? Um, you know, hormonal birth control pills have been linked to... Um, you know, lack of fertility as a woman ages and she gets off of them to have a child, like just as one example. Um, you know, is this how you really want to come to your spouse mm. um, with, a, you know, a implicit, may not be explicit, but an implicit 
spirit of defensiveness by the very technology that you're using because how we use technology says something about who we are. So yeah, just, just ask that question uh, to yourself um, and, and do that thinking and comment on Ethan's uh, chain of comments and he'll answer all your questions for you <laughs> while I get to just be a guest. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know nearly as much as Garrett does, but um, and I guess I would, I would even expand that a little more and say, with everything you do with your body, what's the reason behind it? Um, are you eating a gallon of ice cream or are you going out for a run every couple of days? You know, like, why do you do what you do with your body? And is there, have you examined the reasons beneath that? Um, it's ironic that you brought up video games too, because my roommates and I have been playing every couple nights, we'll just play Halo. And I've lately been having the thought, like, I could be spending my time better than this. So I guess that's kind of a sign even, it's all coming together. Even even with your roommate, um, you know, there are times where Andrew and I, we love The Office. So shout out to everyone listening who may disagree with me. I am human. I love <laughs> The Office. Um, but, like, Andrew and I watch it, and then we're like, you know, we just watch a lot of TV. We don't really connect. Um, and so lately, um, you know, we've been, we've, you know, we've been playing Scrabble, or just um, you know reading books next to each other, different mm-hmm. books, and then whenever someone has something interesting, we're like, "Hey, have you thought about this?" And then, um, or we watch like movies with a purpose. Like we just saw Just Mercy. Oh yeah, I saw your post and, about uh, that. I want to see that. Yeah, and we had to stop and talk for like an hour halfway through the movie. And the movie is like two and a half hours long, and so what ended up starting at eight thirty ended mm-hmm. at midnight. Uh, but it's like to engage with each other on a human mm-hmm. level. And it's like, yeah, you know, playing Halo or League of Legends or whatever, it's like, you know, it can be fun. You get those fun memories and like, hey, remember when I sniped you from across <laughs> the map? Like, oh, that was crazy, dude. Or like plasma grenade right on your face and it's all blue screen and you're like, hilarious. Um, you know, good memories uh, that, you know, people can relate to. Uh, but then uh, we also want to do the work of building depth. Yeah, you want to strive too. for that balance. And so, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Sweet. Well, we'll wrap it up there. Um, thanks again, Garrett, for coming on. Um, it's always great to talk to you. And I honestly, I'm not just saying this for the podcast. I was legitimately edified by talking to you. And I'm sure a lot of people listening uh, will be too. Um, kind of calling me back to the depths of Christian faith and Christian thought and how theology trickles down into our lives and not, um, yeah, nothing is, nothing is inherently meaningless. But, um, yeah, if you want to respond to any of this, um, if you listen to this and you're like, hey, I want to talk more about this, comment on Facebook at Ethan Renault Official, uh, Twitter and Instagram at Ethan Renault, or just email me directly, Ethan, at EthanRenault.com. Um, I've said my name enough times, so I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, thanks again, Garrett, and um, everybody listening, I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening. Uh, goodbye. Peace.